Um, today, we're going to preach on a very uh, familiar passage, uh, somewhat controversial, difficult to preach, but more difficult to apply. That's our challenge today. But this is God's Word, and we will learn and grow together. So if you have the Bible, please turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we preach through the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. I mean, just look at that, you know, wow. You know, heard that, you know, read that many times. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. If you have the Bible turn, I'm going to invite you to stand together as a respect to God's Word. Let's read together one more time. Let's stand together as we read God's Word and allow God's Word to speak to us. That's more important. Okay, let's read together. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that it is difficult to interpret. It is more difficult to even apply uh, in, in the right situation. We pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment as your people come together before thy feet and learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this is probably the most misquoted Bible passage that non-Christians use to ridicule Christians. Have you ever been put in a situation where your friends, non-Christians, will read this passage and say, are you a Christian? You follow Jesus? Uh, you can obey God's word, right? I'm going to slap you on the right side and don't run away. Show me the left side. Let me slap again, right? And some Christians who have been probably post with such difficulties, came back with an answer and say, hey, look at John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right? You don't know the Son of God. You don't know Jesus Christ, right? So the wrath of God remains in you. Let me show you the wrath of God. Bang, bang, bang. You know, when you misapply God's word, that's what it will end up you know, strategies and, and personal vengeance and violence. But if you apply God's word rightly, civil rights movement was based on this passage. Non-violence demonstration and protest was based on Jesus' teaching on do not fight back. But let your word speak for itself. Let your action speak for itself and carry out that movement to an amazing result. Now, what does Jesus mean by turning the other cheek. Let me share with you this morning Jesus' teaching. In verses 38 and 39, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, okay, you have heard about this, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Well, in fact, the people of the time, they have heard many times the teaching. They have heard many times teaching of the Old Testament that has been telling them an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In Exodus 21, 23 to 25, it says, But if there is harm, okay, 
in a context talks about a pregnant woman, uh, if there's no harm, it's okay, it's innocent. But, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. It was clearly spelled out. And secondly, uh, in, in the book of Leviticus 24, again, if anyone injures his neighbor, so he has done, uh, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Clearly taught. And they all know that. You have heard of this teaching. And why was this teaching given to the people? If you read Deuteronomy 19, 20 to 21, it says, And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, uh, hand for hand, and foot for foot. It was clearly taught in the Old Testament, and they were so familiar with all these uh, passages that was given there. But remember, even in the Old Testament, the law of retaliation, these are the laws that is called, the law of retaliation is not always using exact items to compensate. Right? Sometimes they use set you free or sometimes they use monetary way to compensate as an equal way. Okay? Look at Exodus 21-26. It says, When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male and female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. This is how you compensate equally justice being done. That's how you do. You, you set free. And instead of becoming your possession and becoming a slave for life, you set him free. Or in verse 32, if the ox gores a slave, male or female, then the owner shall give to the master of the slaves 30 shackles of silver as a payback, as a way to be fair and just to the owner of the slaves. And the ox, the ox shall be stoned, shall be killed. That's how it was done. Okay, not exact items to compensate, but the monetary item uh, of freedom being exercised, being given, so that there is justice that is being served there. You know, the law of retaliation has been established to provide justice and to purge evil from among the people, as we just read in Deuteronomy, right? So that you will fear and not do it and, and not allow evil and not allow sin to continue to propagate among the people. And this is to prevent people from inflicting penalty that exceeded the crime. The punishment should equal to the crime. So if you put things uh, uh, in, in not in the right and justice way, then uh, more uh, violence will carry on. Vendetta will happen. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to exercise justice, to purge evil, and so that the penalty will not exceed the crime. Okay, the check is, is to, to inappropriate punishment that will not be exercised among the people. And, and the law of retaliation uh, is to be imposed by the civil courts to protect the public and to pro protect the offenders and to deter crime. Uh, this is to discourage private revenge. Taking things into their own hands uh, typically, usually will escalate 
okay, uh, severity will be much higher than the crime because of personal feelings and personal injuries and, and the, the sense of defending, defending the name uh, of, of the family. Especially in a Middle Eastern culture where honor and shame culture uh, is very important that they keep up the honor. If shame is being applied, if shame is being inflicted on the family, they felt that they have the honor, they have the responsibility to uphold the honor. Uh, even today, in a certain community, they have a practice of uh, honor killing. If someone has done something wrong with the community, within the family, a family member is responsible to kill that person, to take away the shame, to bring and restore honor to the family, to the community. And it will be applauded. Uh, it will be an honorable thing to do, even taking a life away in some community, even today. And to have that justice being done is a way to deter all this from happening. It's to deter crime from continuing to uh, propagate among the people and, and grow there. But most commentators do not believe uh, that it was taken literally in every case, but it was a graphic metaphor uh, to establish justice. It's a, it's, a, it's a dramatic way that Jesus has applied for us to understand the importance of justice. Importance not to take things into our own hands. So the law was given to the people. But you know what? If we look at the Old Testament, we often feel that God is street and God is mean and God is so violent in the Old Testament as if there was no love at all. But you were wrong. Because even in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19 verse 18, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Yes, even love is applied when God established laws to protect people, to prevent vendetta, to prevent crimes and punishments that may be unequal, uh, to prevent people from taking things into their own hands. But in Jesus' time, the Jews begin to use the law of retaliation to justify personal revenge. Especially when they were under the Roman occupation and the common people were at the mercies of the Romans and they often do not have or have very little or no power to execute justice and to protect their own people. So to fight back, and to take things into their own hands were the norm. It was acceptable. It was pretty common in Jesus' time. So Jesus begins to teach them. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus is not saying that we should not be angry at crimes and sins and, and evil things uh, that is happening around us. He is saying that the one who inflict personal abuse or injury to you, do not resist them. Jesus is not applying that into every situation. He is applying on how you respond to a personal abuse or a personal injury that might be inflicting on you. And to help us understand that, Jesus uh, provides four illustrations in the following verses for us to truly understand 
what do you mean by the offense that might be inflicting against you? So Jesus, uh, four illustrations. Four, uh, number one is when you are insulted. And this is probably the most familiar illustrations among the four that we are uh, presented with. It says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know, a slap on the face is to cause injury less, but to cause insult more. If you want to injure a person, probably other parts of the body uh, that is being inflicted with a punch or with a, with a slap or something may cause more injury. Uh, but to slap on the face uh, is not only a slight injury, but really it was focusing on insult to demean, to humiliate a person. Uh, some commentators observe that it is actually more like a sharp backhand uh, slap, which is more humiliating. Uh, assuming that you're a right-hander, assuming that the, uh, the person that you slap is face-to-face with you, and to f- slap the person's right cheek, right side, it has to be a backhand slap. That's even more humiliating. But whether everybody agree with that, that's beside the point. But let's be clear. Any kind of slapping on the cheek is insulting, right? And Jesus says, do not strike back. Jesus says, but offer the other cheek. That is so unusual. Because normally, you expect people to fight back, to strike back, to slap back, just to get even. Or they will walk away because because of your force, uh, that they cannot overpower, and the right, you know, wise thing to do is just walk away, run away. This is so out of this world that under most or normal circumstances, that the offender will be shocked to the point of freezing. Like, whoa! Should I? Do I want to? Unheard of! What? What? What's happening to this person? It is out of his mind. And this shocking teaching of Jesus that is the one that undergird the civil rights movement. It is the same shocking teaching of Jesus that inspired the use of people's power in many countries that resulted in the collapse of authoritarian regime without firing a bullet. By taking the approach of non-violence protest. You know, if we read Romans chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, we see clearly that Paul was teaching his people, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You make him so uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to respond. So uncomfortable. Do not be overcome by evil, he concludes. But overcome evil with good. You know, insult in different ways, has been used 
as a means to humiliate, as a means to demoralize, as a means to kill the human spirit. And Jesus says that you can live as light and salt of the world by offering the other cheek and you'll be free from the intended insult of the offender. That meant evil. That meant insult you. But when you offer yourself and say, well, strike the other hand if that, strike the other side if that helps you, was like the insult intended was dissolved because you offer yourself. And, and probably in your mind you are thinking, Pastor Albert, you, you are out of your mind as well. You know, you even talk about that? <laughs> in 21st century, in a country like us, with rights being protected by the constitutions, you, you talk about that, you know? Are you out of bound? Are you out of bound? Out of your mind? Well, missionaries, even American missionaries, serving in a difficult land, where gospel is hard to take root, where gospel is hard to penetrate, often suffer humiliations willingly for the sake of the gospel. They do it willingly. They did it willingly to soften the heart of the people, to embody the gospel, to show the love of Jesus, and to walk the talk in order to win them over to the gospel. It is not unheard of. In fact, it is quite common when missionaries were willing to suffer humiliation and insult and sometimes even lives in order to live out the gospel in the midst of that. Now, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. And secondly, in another scenario, moving from interpersonal relationship now, it is moving to a legal setting. Okay? When your personal rights are violated. In verse 40 says, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The tunic is a long sleeved inner rope like a pajamas in ancient days. Uh, the cloak is an outer garment. And to the Jews, this is like an inalienable possession. They have legal rights. They are protected legally. They are protected by the law that they should own their outer garment. In Exodus 22, 26 to 27, it says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, okay, as a pawn, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering to keep himself warm. And it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? He'll be freezing. So if he cries to me, God says, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Now in a legal setting, it is not likely that someone will go to the court to fight for your pajamas, right? And it is unlikely that for a Jewish person uh, who has lived dignified life before God, that in a court setting, they will say, okay, I'll give you everything. I'll give you my inner garment and outer garment, and they will walk home naked. That, that will not happen. That will not happen in the life of a Jewish community. So it is not a literal scenario. But the teaching is clear that if you are light and salt of the world, be prepared 
to abandon your own rights. Be prepared. Be prepared to give not just the inner garments, but also the outer garments. Now, Jesus is not saying that you should not care for your family. Jesus is not saying that give away everything and whatever people ask, just give them away. People is not saying that, you know, you you don't need to care for your loved ones. But he's saying that your personal rights can be abandoned for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of living the kingdom citizenship, as kingdom citizen lifestyle, and be a light and salt of this world. You know, this is not something unusual, even in the New Testament, in Paul's exhortation to the church in Corinth about personal rights. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, when there was lawsuit among brothers in the church of Corinth, he exhorted them to have lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why do you do that? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why, why don't you swallow your pride? Why don't you bear the, the baggage for another person, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers? You fight for your rights so much, so strong, before unbelievers and allow the court of the land, the Gentiles, to decide for you the right and the wrong. Why? Choose the other way. That was the lesson that Paul has given to the church in Corinth. A very promiscuous city, a very free city. He says, well, do the right way. Follow the Lord's way. The third illustration, when you are forced against your will. In verse 41, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him the second mile. So now Jesus has moved from the the legal setting now into a military scene. Uh, A Roman soldier can legally command civilians to help him carry his luggage for a distance, for a mile. That's their legal rights. Uh, You remember Mark 15, 21, right? Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander of Rufus, to carry the cross of Jesus. They just compel a pacifier and say, do it, and they have to do it because they are the dominating power. The oppressive practice was designed to dominate, to prove superiority. We are superior. You are our subject. Okay, We are the dominating force. We possess you. We have overtaken the land. We are the conquerors. Okay, just obey. For, for a mile, they were allowed to do that. And Jesus says, go the second mile. Jesus says, you can be light and salt of the world by turning it around and, and making it a voluntary service, a voluntary service by going the extra mile willingly and cheerfully if possible, effectively dispel the domination imposed to you by the oppressors. That's how powerful this teaching is. They dominate. They are in charge. They are in control. 
When you do it that way, they're like, ha, 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 we are the conquerors. They are at our mercies. Go a mile, you go a mile. Everybody, you know, under Roman soldiers, you have to obey. But when the kingdom citizens say, okay, I'll go a second mile for you voluntarily, just, just to help you, you neutralize that domination right away. And there's no domination at all. Because the oppressors now is being shamed. That's how powerful Jesus' suggestions and teaching in this part of the teaching here. Some of you may know this person, Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, a psychiatrist. He says, everything that can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedom, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. When you are in a concentration camp, he said, everything is taken away from you. They can do whatever on you. They have all this power. Your loved ones can be burned. Your possessions, I mean, nothing to talk about possessions. You have nothing, okay? You are at their mercy to live for one more day or to die in any form, in any way, by torture. They can do anything they want when you are in concentration camp. But he says, the only thing left for me is the choice of my attitude towards you. That you can't take away. And this is the only remaining thing that I still have. And I will not give it away. And that's the teaching. And finally, in the fourth illustration, Jesus says, when you are presented with need. Now, things are being turned around. It says, give to the one who backs from you and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. In the first three illustrations, you are the weak ones and the oppressors are the strong ones. They tell you to go to the second mile. They say, give me your second cheek. Let me slap on your left side. They say, give me the inner garment. You know, I, I'm going to sue you for that. And you are at their mercy, being abused, causing injury to you. Now, the fourth one, you are the strong one. You are at the position of strength. This is a role reversal. Instead of being offended, now you are in a position to offer something to others who are looking for assistance. Now you can, like, you know, assist others. And Jesus is saying, when they come to you for help, when they come to you to back you, when they come to you to borrow from you, he says, when you are able, be light and salt of the world by being generous with your resources. Be generous with your resources. Share freely. Do not be enslaved by what you have, but become the master of your resources by giving and lending to those who have legitimate needs. You know, if you are willing to offer your left cheek, if you are willing to go the second mile, if you are willing to give even the outer garment, surely, surely the fourth illustration is that, of course, it's a given. It's no comparison. I can offer something. 
I am the master of my resources. I can give. I want to share. What is Jesus' point about these four illustrations? What is the point? I think the point is, disciples has no rights, but Jesus' rights. Disciples has no rights, but Jesus' rights. We have no rights to retaliate. We have no rights to our own possessions. We have no rights to time, go the extra mile. We have no rights to money, land, share. Then who has rights? Jesus has the rights. We are asking, what would Jesus do? We are asking how to walk with Jesus daily. And that is the message that Jesus is telling us today, I believe. Not out of legalism, but out of love. It is not about going two miles only and not one inch more. That's it, right? That's it. No more. No more. Don't you take advantage of me. Two miles only. That's legalism. But Jesus is asking us to be loving. It is not about you're wearing suits and not tuning and, and you don't have to pay back. That's legalism. Playing with the words. It's not about I, I'm toothless. So, so I don't need to pay rest, uh, restitutions for the wrong that I have done. Maybe you can take my denture or, or implants. Uh, I, I prefer denture. It's cheaper. Implants, more expensive. So which do you want? It's playing with the words. It's legalism. And Jesus is saying, do it out of love. Out of love of Jesus. That it is a lifestyle of the kingdom citizens. That personal sacrifices should replace personal retaliation. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. As we take up our cross to follow Jesus every day. And that's how I will summarize my message with you today. Giving up our rights as Jesus gave up his rights aligns us with the way of the cross. Giving up our rights as Jesus gave up his rights aligns us with the way of the cross. So take up your cross to follow Jesus. First Peter 21-23 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten and continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the way of the cross. You know, teaching this passage is hard enough already, but applying this passage, it's even more challenging and more difficult. You know why? Because we live in a complicated world. We live in a complex world. We have fake news. We have imposters. We have telephone fraud. We have fake identity. 
We have many, many situations where people take advantage of someone's compassions. How do you apply? I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing to do if people are, are, are truly are in need and, and they take it, you know, appreciate that and they really actually are being helped. I, I will be, do, be, be doing that. But it's a complex war. I just don't know. How, how do you apply that? I, I struggle with the applications. I can talk about, you know, we can do this as a church, we can do this project and do that project. But there are complex things to consider in every situation. So I think in applications, let me just share some thoughts with you. First, God is the judge. It comes back to the theology, the knowledge of God. Who is God? It comes back to God. That God is sovereign as a judge. That God is omniscient. He knows everything as a judge. That God is impartial as a judge. And therefore, when we say, vengeance is me and I will repay, we willingly surrender to such a great God because of who God is. He will right all wrongs perfectly as a perfect God. God is the judge. He's the basis of our response. And secondly, we need the church to discern together. The church to discern together. And it was the suggestion, it was the teaching that Paul has given to the church uh, in Corinth in chapter 6 when he told them not to sue each other. In verse 5 he says, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? You should have enough wisdom, corporate wisdom, when the church discerns together. Because in each of us, we have Jesus dwelling in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the truth. And the Bible is God's truth. And the Holy Spirit will convict us. And when we come together, we can discern together as a church. What is the best thing to respond to the needs out there? We need corporate wisdom as we do the right thing and, and, and not be taken advantage of and not having a haphazard a solution to a complex world. The church discerns together. And thirdly, exercise wisdom. Wisdom. Especially the wisdom of Proverbs, of Psalms, the, the wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. Exercise wisdom. The wisdom literature, as we call them, has a lot to inform us, the book of Job, about the reality of life. And we need a lot of that wisdom in order to uh, live righteously in a fallen world. That's what the wisdom literature is for, to teach us how to live righteously in a fallen world. And together we can glean some good practices that has been proven to be effective and even learn from some painful experiences and make sure we don't repeat the same mistake again as we exercise and extend our hands of love and care for those around us. And finally, I'm going to say that let's learn from mistakes. When I say let's learn from mistakes, I'm saying that when you extend your hands, when you turn the other cheek and say slap, 
when you go the extra mile and, or give your outer garment, you are not always appreciated. As much as you hope that people will appreciate and learn and grow and, and their needs are being felt and being filled, it's not always true. People may look at you as a, as a fool and say, what a, what a nice cheap labor. When I say one mile, he goes a second mile for free. I want to make sure I got his cell phone number. So when I move, when I do something, I'm going to make sure I call him because he will go the second mile. Ha, ha, ha. Not always appreciated. Sometimes you fumble. Sometimes you are hurt. But you know what? Do it anyway. Because that's a kingdom teaching. That's a kingdom ethics. Do it anyway because this is the way of Jesus. Because it is the way of the cross. And the disciples are to take up the cross to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. Would you walk? Would you walk together? Let's pray. Father, we admit that teaching this passage, though familiar, can be challenging. And especially in the applications and wisdom and discernment, how to do good and how to bless others when we are abused or when we are facing personal injury. And we need the corporate wisdom of the church together to know how to do it. But we, 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 base, we base what we do on the theology, on the knowledge of God. Who is God? That God is the perfect judge. And it is on that foundation that we are able to learn how to exercise and how to apply and how to walk with you as disciples who takes up the cross to follow Jesus every day. Empower us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.